Hello and welcome to Dark Days Radio, episode number 35. I'm, of course, your host, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. Hello. Hi. And returning returning guest, the first ever freelancer and also, well, developer from White Wolf that we had on the show, Matt McFarland. How's it going, Matt? I'm doing well. Hey there, Matt. How you doing? Good. I'm doing all right. Cool. So I think we're really just going to jump right into it with this show and move on to White Wolf News. So, White Wolf has been kind of busy, I guess. Uh, they've been putting out some products. One, of course, is the Werewolf Translation Guide, which was developed by Matt McFarland. And written by Stu Wilson, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's right. So that, of course, gives you uh, rules that translate from Werewolf the Forsaken to Werewolf the Apocalypse and vice versa. Tribes, lodges, all that kind of stuff. Matt, do you have anything you want to uh, discuss with that other than you know telling people to go out, buy it, and enjoy it? Um, only that, um, you know, of course, we, we did one for Vampire to kind of lead up to the release of the uh, 20th anniversary edition of Vampire the Masquerade. And that product was originally meant to be, I think, a lot shorter and free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, I turned in the draft to Eddie Webb, and he kind of went, oh, you found a lot of stuff to do with this. All right, awesome. And so that kind of set the stage, I think, for um, for the one that we did for Werewolf. And I think the one that we're going to be doing for Mage... <laughs> yeah, but I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about who's working on that and when it's coming and everything. So, but uh, but yeah, as far as Werewolf goes, um, I uh, no, that was a lot of that was a lot of fun to work with Stu on that. Um, you know, he and I have been he's only been freelancing for White Wolf, um, you know, comparatively recently, but um, you know, we've been in contact, you know, back in the days of, of the old White Wolf forums and on uh, on Werewolf the Apocalypse, and um, he's done a lot of uh, his own work with. Um, games like Eternal Legends and Black Seven, and so when that came up with the Werewolf Translation Guide, I'm like, all right, I know, I know who I'm putting on this. It's gonna be, it's gonna be good. So, and that turned out really well, I think. Cool, cool. Yeah, right. I haven't checked it out yet, but uh, definitely I've heard some good things, and I know a lot of the uh, a lot of the Werewolf the Apocalypse fans just went crazy when it came out because it was like, you know, they're finally getting a new book after how long? Just like how the <laughs> yeah. Vampire the Masquerade fans were reacting about a year ago. Right. The fact that you know mage has then obviously also been worked on i mean that's gonna everyone's gonna go mental for that one as well so it's nice to know that it's been worked on if that's the only thing that has to be said it's been worked on <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think uh, mental is the operative word because it's just going to be crazy flame wars the second it comes out <laughs> yeah, yeah i've rich thomas asked me you know if i wanted to work on the the mage translation guide i'm like i don't know if i do or not actually <laughs> there's I don't want to. I don't want to be burned by that. And they, well, I mean, in, in in all seriousness, though, I I know Vampire really well. I know Werewolf really well, and that was probably the uh, the game in the old World of Darkness that I did the most work on. And um, but Mage, I only ever worked on one book. Okay, fair and, enough. Uh, but it was never it was never something I was as familiar with. Now, of course, Awakening I'm very familiar with. But I think that there are probably people who are better suited to do it uh, to the translation guy than I am. So I'll be very interested to see how it works and uh, you know to. I mean, these are these are games where the systems are kind of similar, but the underlying uh, paradigm, if you will, is very different. And so mm. I'll be interested to see what uh, what get done gets done with it. 
Awesome. And uh, another thing that came out from White Wolf is, of course, The Falling Scales Part 1, which was, wow, written by Matt McFarland. You think we planned this or something, don't you? <laughs> they do have other authors, I swear. Uh, Falling Scales Part 1 was, uh, yeah, it was meant to be a two-part, I think, series. And the assumption is that you're that you're playing mortals, but it would work just fine uh, playing supernatural characters. And uh, I don't know how much I don't know how much I want to say about it. Actually, it is out, but um, let's see thematically what's going on with Falling Scales. Um, a lot to do with kind of learning about the supernatural, but even if you're already involved in it, learning and discovering what it means to be supernatural and what kind of effect like this this hidden world has on everything else on the on the mortals that live there or on you know kind of how they how they operate um i guess collateral damage is one of the themes hmm. right interesting interesting matt i have a question for you and i'm, I'm pretty sure, sure you don't have any like control over this but we saw about this time last year we had the werewolf chroniclers guide no forsaken chroniclers guide coming out which used the right. subscription model which was also used in the yes. uh, scion companion now why didn't they go for that with the falling scales i have no idea um that's not that's as you say that's not anything that i have anything uh to do with i'm you know i'm a freelancer they they come to me when they need something written or, de- or developed but uh, as far as the business decision goes um that's not something that i'm part of that's cool. And so I'm not. I don't know. I don't know how well it worked out for them, uh, for the Forsaken Chronicler's Guide, and for you know the other books that they used it on, or if there was something else about the way that uh, Falling Scales was structured um, that that made that impractical. I don't know. It's just uh, the reason why I'm curious about it is because, as it stands, uh, Falling Scales Part One, you can buy uh, print on demand, and it's only about right. 52 pages long, which is really small. And it seems like yeah. it would be you know better bang for your buck if you just got the entire compilation at the end yeah all put together that would make sense i don't know <laughs> hmm. cool and also from white wolf we had v20 companion is out for kickstarters only so if you didn't do that too bad i've got it though it's pretty sweet lots of christopher shy nipples <laughs> i mean i mean he drew lots of nipples is what's going on with it um not what i expected with the art direction but uh I guess Rich Thomas liked it. Cool. And with that, the other thing in the news... Actually, two things. Um, Mummy? Mummy's rumbling on? (laughs) Three Three things. things, Yeah. Uh, Mummy, of course, is... uh, They're actually working on that. And we know now, it's been confirmed, that the uh, Mummy characters are going to be ancient. Yeah. As opposed to, like, the newly embraced kindred or or, uh, newly transformed werewolves. They're going to be these ancient beings, which is similar to how we had it with the uh, Shemsuheru in Mummy 1st Edition and Mummy 2nd Edition, which is pretty exciting, and it's going to hopefully give a nice, interesting change to uh, the new World of Darkness. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I've, I know exactly as much as anybody else at this point, um, you know, out in, out in the internet, so I know it's... I just learned the, the subtitle when everybody else did. I'm very keen to see what, uh, what the team does with it. Yeah, I've um, had a read of the blog posts up there and obviously I've played a little bit of the um, Mummy of the Resurrection so that you're actually playing true ancients that's that's kind of cool mm. 
it's gonna be interesting to see how they work that out because it was always very overwhelming i feel with the uh original mummy games uh just exactly how they're gonna make everything work because you know they had some workarounds with uh vampire the requiem with the the oh geez i can't remember the name of it fog of eternity indeed if you indeed fog of eternity yeah. uh which is the uh the, well, pages, yeah. the effect which kind of clouds the memory of elder vampires so maybe they'll have something similar to that maybe they'll just have a really long memory could be yeah i i can the one thing i wouldn't want to go through a process of is um working out various stages of previous history in uh, a manner equivalent to I'm trying to think which game uh nephilim nephilim yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i was just th- i was just thinking that took so many hours to throw that, yep. that one yeah but it was good fun. It gives you a lot of insight, but it, it needs something. Yes, but it, yeah, definitely not quick. You can't just can't just whip yeah. up Nephilim characters real quick for a, you know for a pickup game. So I don't know. Um, you know, we went through in Ancient Mysteries um, a discussion of of the Fog of Eternity and kind of what time does to Elder Vampires' memories. Um, but of course, I have no reason to think that uh, that any of that is going to have a, a specific bearing on on uh, what they do with Mummy. Hmm, interesting. Uh, next up is Children of the Revolution. It's up on Kickstarter. It's pretty cool because they're actually linking... If you if you buy like the PDFs, you also get Children of the Inquisition, Children of the Night, and Kindred Most Wanted, which are the uh, books that have kind of inspired the, uh, the new source book that's coming out. So that's kind of an interesting uh, thing that they're doing. Uh, it gives you a little bit more than just getting that one book, which should make uh, quite a few people happy. So I don't know if either of you have have kickstarted for it. Uh, I have not yet. Um, I'm considering it, but we'll have to see. I have not. Um, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm waiting for my wife to stage a Kickstarter intervention for me. Frankly, mm-hmm. uh, I I have a lot of things that I'm backing right now, and um, I I have looked at that Kickstarter. I just haven't. Yeah, kind of like you. I haven't decided if I'm gonna. Uh, if I'm going to throw in for that, or if I'm going to wait and uh, try to pick it up after. Indeed. And Chris, are you interested in that at all? It's not really... It's, unfortunately, it's not like, like really high on my priority of things, really. I'm kind of kind of waiting to see what kind of new World of Darkness stuff is on the horizon, really. And if there's anything Kickstarter that in, in that direction, then I will plow, <laughs> plow money in and get something oh, that's cool good. that way. Because... New World of Darkness is my bitch, <laughs> and I need it. Um, right, right. Great. Third one, yeah? Yeah, we yep, the third, third one. one. Yeah. Third one. And that is that there may be a Grand Masquerade in 2012. That's pretty much all I got coming from wadnews.net. But yeah, if, it's, if it goes through, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it seems a bit... Uh, yeah, I mean, the news on that is kind of a bit thin on the ground. Still, though, and it is time is ticking so yeah yeah because i would like to go myself something like that and with that i think that's all for white wolf news so let's go over to the mailbag segment haven't had too much mail i don't think we've Uh, we've had a few bits and pieces here and there i mean we've obviously had the email from uh shane uh on our topic for tonight so there's nothing more to say than that than when we get to that part. Mm. We had an email from Alakov uh, about Hollow Ones, about do they have to be goth? And I think it was just really uh, myself kind of addressing the fact that Hollow Ones are kind of about really how their paradigm uh, is, is uh, how it's different. And it's not 
about being goth alternative. It's about how you can how they take they kind of uh, mash together different methods to create their own magical system rather than you know being say Order of Hermes or Sons of Ether. They they take what seems appropriate and make their own uh, magical methods, which is interesting when I kind of started writing that reply because it made me think more about uh, New Mage and how it's all about correspond- uh, correspondences between the physical world and the where you're getting your power from. So, um, yeah, it was a good email to write back. I have a few more comments to send back to him on that one. And I think the only other bits, we just had a bit of thanks from people on previous main show and the uh, dark ones that we've been doing for either Dark Ages or for Chronicle Design. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And of course, the uh, Facebook page has happened. Definitely some good discussion going on there, actually. I'm pretty surprised given the uh, the limitations of the new format, the new timeline format with Facebook. But people seem to still like hanging out there and offer their opinions and views. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to get some new miniatures painted up and, and take photos of those. I've got a copy of the Samuel Hate miniature, which I really want to... <laughs> get to uh paint that guy up so you can expect that in the future it's just a it's just an ashtray right <laughs> no but i could totally i could have like two forms of them i could have like the yeah. ashtray form yeah yeah <laughs> so, like before and after for samuel Hate. exactly yes. exactly very good um so that's it with the mailbag segment and uh let's move on over to the secret frequency But oh wait, it's not actually Secret Frequency. Chris, what is this new segment? The new segment, which is kind of give us a break from doing Secret Frequency so we can find some more weird stuff out in the world, um, where this new segment is through the curly and camera. Uh, basically what we're doing in this segment is looking at either episodes or shows from TV uh, or from films or even or looking at particular books. And using those as sources for ideas for how you can use them within your own games, whether it's for an entire chronicle, or be it for uh, just a story or an episode, or even just a scene in your games. Or alternatively, because New World of Darkness is big into this, so why can't Old World of Darkness do this, well, Classic World of Darkness do this as well, uh, how to hack your game to replicate the, the, the feel and themes and moods and just the, the you know, replicate the film or whatever it is wholesale and use that as your game. So um, that's the basic idea. And keeping with the theme of what we'll be talking about later, uh, the film we will be looking at tonight is a film known as The Sin Eater, or if in other regions is known as The Order. It's a film that came out a few years ago and stars Heath Ledger as a uh, Roman Catholic priest of a particular order known as the Carolingians, and they specialise in fighting with demons and other hellspawn. He, of course, uh, has been ordered to, uh, to, to pursue a Sin Eater. Uh, a Sin Eater is considered a heretical being of the Catholic Church, as they're able to remove all taint of sin from a soul, no matter how bad, and do this just before the death of that person. So essentially, it circumvents all the traditional ways of, uh, of you know, resolving, you know, uh, confessing your sins in Catholicism. 
Mm-hmm. Right. The film obviously looks into Heath Ledger's character and his own views on sin and uh, resolving his own needs and uh, the fact he's part of a small order and uh, chasing down this uh, sin eater. Um, and essentially the film is a uh, looks at uh, how his character and his group are manipulated so that uh, they create a new sin eater. Um, it also looks at kind of the ideas of heresy within the Catholic Church, uh, and there's some wonderful scenes, one of which involves a person known as the Black Pope, uh, who they go to for information. And in this scene, the Black Pope has three victims who are who have bags over their head, who are hung, and at the moment of death, they can be asked questions, and uh, and they can see, you know, the other realms and be able to give them information on things which normal living beings cannot see um, and yeah that's essentially the idea of the film um, and in the end Heath Ledger's character uh, a spoiler alert here so please by this moment if you want to watch the film uh, go watch now and forget about this bit that I'm going to say he ultimately becomes a sin eater uh, through the manipulation of the uh, death of, uh, of a woman that he loves and being only given part of the information for the ritual which he originally believed was to kill a sin eater but instead creates one, him being the new sin eater um, and of course there's other scenes with the uh, the entire destruction of St. Peter's Basilica so um, I have actually watched this film and it's quite cool, you know, they're, they're attacked by demons, um, you we have various scenes around uh, Rome, and I just think it's 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 got quite a great atmosphere for a, a film which um, I think really didn't get noticed much. Um, they were actually going to do a computer game to it, but that got canned. So yeah, um, I don't know. Um, Mike, did you read through the synopsis that I post up? Obviously, there's a full synopsis on Wikipedia. Go, please read it. Um, people want to know more yeah uh, I skimmed through it and it's always tough when you're looking at a movie for inspiration in a uh, in a chronicler game because mm. you've got you've got this plot and you kind of want to go into it following that plot exactly but you have to realize that yeah. of course the characters and the players are gonna just take things in completely different directions um, so working this in with a with an existing supernatural type could work because that would give you sort of a background or basis to work off of. Um, of course, I'm I'm more used to uh, talking about uh, like Vampire the Masquerade, so this could fit in perhaps with the with the Inquisition source books that came out earlier and uh, are going to be revisited with with uh, Hunters Hunted Two later this year. Um, Man, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. I think um, things that I would immediately take out, take out and use um, the scene with the the Black Pope. Uh, I think can could be particularly great for um, maybe uh, inspiration for rituals for um, various vampire orders or or, or groups within um, of hunters, be it hunter the vigil, hunter the reckoning. Um, would be particularly a, a cool scene to kind of play out the same sort of thing for say uh, Vampire the Requiem would be Lancaster Sanctum. Um, mm. For the actual idea, I think the, the cool thing there is maybe not to run the whole 
the whole thing uh, wholesale the whole story and run through it but maybe the ideas of like about the use of information um, and that kind of like the conspiracy and whether you can really play the character play your uh, have your player characters kind of see how they work with the information if they realize they've only been given half the story and if they realize before it's too late what's about to happen I think the the idea of a sin eater itself um, of course we have geist sin eater but this is a very this is a different sin eater but I think you could you could use um, bits from something like second sight perhaps and and kind of create this small order of um, of of beings um, who are humans that can you know remove sin and that might play as an imp- be an important thing for characters that are say uh, being influenced by demons and want to have their sins purged from them so the demons are also exercised or perhaps uh, it's important say to vampires as well who want to have a, a purer soul uh, so that they don't get consumed by the beast or even maybe uh, it'd be quite interesting for uh, Promethean even because obviously as a, as a, as a Promethean they, they'd be very interested in uh, the nature of the human soul considering they don't have one so it's, a, it's one thing you could you have the player you can have player characters be these these sin eaters, or you could actually just have them as you know that weird thing that that pops up and you just like what the hell is that? Why is everyone after them suddenly? And what could your your player characters gain from it? I like the Promethean idea because Promethean's a game, of course, that due to the uh, due to the wasteland effects and disquiet, really. There's not enough people for, for Prometheans to talk to. So having these Sin Eaters who perhaps are immune to wasteland effects and, and all of that uh, could That'd be, be just interesting yeah. just to have another NPC that they can actually talk to without issue. Mm. Uh, well, we are, we are, of course, joined by a distinguished guest. So, Matt, do you have any, uh, any insight, uh, opinions, ideas? Um, I have seen the movie, actually. Uh, okay. It's a movie I enjoy, and um, I'm currently running a, a Chronicle of Geist, the Sin Eaters, and one of the characters is uh, largely based on Heath Ledger's character um, from that movie, so it's kind of a more literal interpretation. Oh. Um, I think, though, I like I like where you're going with the idea of including um, something like a Sin Eater as someone that um, uh, other people in the World of Darkness could interact with um, and acting as a kind of moral guide. I think if I was including that kind of NPC in my Chronicles, I would, I would say that not only does disquiet not affect the character, but other forms of mental and emotional influence and control don't either that is the vampires can can try to dominate them all they want you know maybe changelings can't get emotional energy off of him either and he's just kind of this anomaly in that sense but making him someone that that you can unburden your soul to Mm. um and then my you know my question would be then you know for the for the players do you need to try and figure out why it is that this person is like this, or can you just take advantage of what he can give you, or do you have to kill the golden goose? Because <laughs> I've I've played in games with both types of players. I've played in games with people who are like, oh, this, this guy must be some kind of mage or something, and we're going to figure out what he's really doing. And I'm like, well, the thing is that if you figure it out, he might not be able to do it anymore, because in order to discover, you kind of have to tear apart and, and analyze. Is that really worth it? 
Mm. And um, and I and I think there's I think there's that kind of uh, theme of of you know that that discovery, but you might learn more than you really wanted to know, and you might not be happy with the results. That kind of goes through the movie too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that might be fun. Now, if I was going to run a game where people were doing something like becoming Sin Eaters, of course, the first thing you run into is, in the movie, there's just the one guy. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm running a game that I'm dealing with four or five or six people. And so, you know, that would, I guess, my inclination at that point, or the question that I have to ask at that point is, you know, does everybody get to be the Sin Eater when we're done, or are we all competing for the same spot? <laughs> yeah. Because I'd run that game. That'd be fun. I'd run the game where everybody's kind of, you know, learning these lessons and going out and fighting demons and trying to prove themselves to the, you know, to the church and to the, the higher ups. And, yeah, I'm sorry though, there's only there's only one of you that gets the that gets the ordination at the end of all of this. And what happens to the rest of you? Well, remember that scene with the Black Pope where you get to tell the future at the moment of your death. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. that that seems really, really. Um, I thought it was particularly yes. like, great. I, it was just like, I wow, I, I can't wait to use that in some game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. So yeah, I think that uh, it's a it's a good World of Darkness movie. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fun potential there. Either World of Darkness. Cool. Well, I guess I'm going to have to check out the movie then. So, uh, Chris, do you have any other comments on the scene, the scene here then? Um, uh, not particularly. Um, I'm just trying to think of things of a, of a similar theme um, perhaps uh, The Right which stars Anthony Hopkins that's a really good kind of uh, has a good ambience that film um, and also uh, I would say of, of course if you, if you like Johnny Depp films Night's Gate is particularly good and again is about someone pursuing some power without really knowing what he's getting into um, so yeah you know, heresy and demons. Um, fun. <laughs> um, if you... Seventh Seal, actually. Seventh Sign? Seventh Sign with Demi Moore. Okay. Um, I've not is, seen that one. It's <laughs> another... It's She's not kind of... She's not within the church. She's just this woman who's, um, you know, who's very pregnant. And she, they take her... She and her husband take on a boarder who turns out to be... Um, <laughs> kind of the, the second coming um, and it's been a while since I've seen the movie but um, there's there's a lot of this kind of uh, apocalyptic Christian um, mythology going on and it's less about you know getting involved in a kind of sect of the church and more about the world coming to an end and you know what what within this Know, Christian paradigm can we do to prevent that? But it's it's got some of the same feel to it. I think it maybe if you're going to run a game like that, it'd be worth checking out. Cool. Okay. All right. So with that, uh, I think we should move on over to the uh, the main segment of the show, which is going to be a topic of highbrow storytelling. Topics of highbrow storytelling. All right. Uh, so Chris, you initially started discussing with with shane uh this this topic of of infernalism and cults and all that uh, would you like to kind of bring us all up to speed on what you guys discussed yeah okay so essentially uh shane's email um was looking at infernalism and he'd been running some 
uh, Dark Ages games. And he was really looking for some interesting ideas on the presentation and use of demons within games. Uh, he initially looked at, like, talking about the barley and their disciplines, but also demons and how they relate to mortal say and mages in the Dark Ages setting. And I kind of expanded that to in also include uh, a bit more of, like, you know, world darkness in general. Um, uh, he was also because he also wanted to know um, stuff that was to do with New World Darkness and things such as Belial's Brood take on demons, and of course you have in Mage the Awakening you have the the uh, the the, Go uh, the Goitia uh, demons, uh, and of course you have Abyssal, and you also have everything within Inferno and Book of Spirits and Werewolf and so forth. So we have a lot of options when it comes to the depictions of infernalism and demons because there are many different lenses through which we can look at this topic so that's where we kind of that's where i kind of started from and obviously why i delved into inferno the new order darkness because uh, back in episode three vince and uh, mark were talking about uh, new world darkness inferno and they briefly did a uh, a review of it but i think they i think there's some there's some particular things of importance that we can uh, pick up in that book, and things we can we can uh, gain from that, and how to use it in our games. And Mike, you've been looking at some classic World of Darkness uh, books for Vampire: The Dark Ages and Dark Ages Vampire. Indeed. So the ones I looked at were uh, were Ashen Cults, which is for Vampire: The Dark Ages, and Devil's Due for Dark Ages Vampire which was developed by this here guy, Matt McFarland. Yep. That was the, I think, the last book that came out for Dark Ages Vampire, actually, oh. before um, before the end of the world, as it were. And really, it was the last book for yeah. the Old World of Darkness before the Vampire Translation Guide came out. So, pretty oh, big Oh, yeah, deal. I guess. I suppose it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, pretty huge. Makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, uh, should we start with uh, with Inferno? I think Inferno might be a good place to start because Inferno, as a book for New World of Darkness, really drives home uh, how there are very different ways of depicting your demons and how there are different... I guess the word demon can be used uh, to describe uh, a multitude of different beings within the World of Darkness setting and how they're all quite different and also in many ways quite similar. And it's the ways that you can go about using uh, those within your games. Um, so to start off with, Inferno presents the idea that there are a type of spirit that are called demons, which prey on and feed upon human vices. And they need these vices and uh, the acts of desecration that go with human vices to, to grow in power and to enter into our realm. But the cool things that Inferno then builds upon is the fact that these demons, in order to get into our world, have to manipulate mortals as uh, what they call whisperers. They they manipulate humans through uh, small ideas and dreams and uh, and essentially drive mortals to commit uh, greater acts of uh, well, great, greater and more despicable acts um, to to drive to gain something from that mortal's vice. And 
there are some really neat things that are within Inferno because whisperers can can not only uh, influence humans, they can also go on to influence and possess humans and possess other spirits and ghosts and even possess desecrated, unholy locations and thus manifest as true uh, demons in those locations. And I think what was really cool is the idea that ghosts and spirits could be possessed by demons. So you can have players interacting with ghosts and thinking, you know, it, what they need to do is a typical uh, to excise this ghost and, you know, and find out why it's still repeating its actions and what it needs, what unfinished business there are, or what its fetters are to the world, or its anchors. But then realize that it's it's just something that's being a puppet to something far darker. Um, and of course, the other thing that the book gets into is about how uh, the idea of infernalism and how people can be drawn into cults that worship uh, demons. And uh, But then also the idea that many cults which are about infernalism there are no demons behind there are just other entities of the of the of the world of darkness setting which can be manipulating mortals be it vampires mages etc etc so yeah inferno has a lot of a lot of different systems and a lot of different ideas that that means you can really go to town with demons and again throw some real curveballs at your players and have them thinking, what the hell have we just walked into? This wasn't what I signed up for. Um, I think the other cool thing is that there's uh, is mentioned that uh, there's quite a difference between the the demons within Inferno that are from the Inferno that 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 grow uh, from from vice from feeding upon uh, from the vice of mortals and the what could be described as demonic entities and spirits from the abyss in Mage and how they're actually uh, the, the 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 two evil sides of of a coin. One is about the material, and the other one is about the the immaterial nothingness. Yeah, I hope I I kind of gave that a good overview of the differences of different spirits and demons there, Matt. <laughs> I think so no, yeah, I think that uh, I think that you you covered especially what's in Inferno, but in the in the world of darkness pretty well. Um, one of the things that we we talked about when we were working on Inferno was you know what exactly does it mean to be a demon and um and this was a while ago mind but i i do recall you know talking with uh, with malcolm shepherd and with the other people in the book and i was i personally am not a big fan of using fallen angels in the world of darkness in the new world of darkness because i you know i didn't want to to introduce that if if there are fallen angels, what did they fall from, and you know how much of the how much of the uh, you know Judaic tradition do we want to get into? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, we kind of did that with Demon the Fallen, and um, you know, I mean, it it worked out pretty well. But I I don't know, I wasn't crazy about what it kind of implied about the cosmology of the uh, of the world of darkness because I'm a nerd and I like things to make sense. But uh, but I like I like what we came up with with Inferno that um, demons are are a kind of spirit, but something apart from from most other spirits have capabilities that they don't and are really keyed into into vice. And I mean I I really enjoy the virtue and vice system uh, for the New World of Darkness, and I like being able to to play off of that. So I think that it, yeah that came out really well. Yeah, there's a really I mean the book is 
chock full of different things to use. I mean, there's like entire sections on the, the rituals and so forth of uh, and acts uh, to to basically open the doorway to either demons manifesting fully or uh, or just simply being to influence characters and the idea that um, you can with the right sort of nudging and cooperation from players you can you can have some interesting role play where their character begins to be influenced by a demon rather than say being corrupted in the traditional sense that they gain derangement so I think that's that's really a, a, another great way of of how a character can kind of fall from grace with the morality system. Um, I mean, one of the things that, that turned up in my Changeling game for one of the player characters was, um, he was his character obviously was slightly out of sync with time, um, so, but had a, a definite idea of that, he, that his character was Catholic, and of course the game took place in Venice, so he was trying, his character was trying to reconcile what he believed were demons and then what changelings were and what the fae are and you mm-hmm. know that's another that's another entire set of of beings that again could be considered depending upon through which lens you're talking you're looking at and how you, how you interpret things could be considered demonic entities but again they're they're depraved corrupt monsters but aren't tied into vice but tied into nightmares and dreams rather than vices or say in the abyss kind of the abyssal spirits as, as i said are, are tied into the the very idea of nothingness and that or um i mean hell if you really want to go full bore with it you can always grab the things out of the back of second sight and go for full-blown catholoid entities of the outer dark yeah there's there's a lot to work with i think the the cool section really in inferno is that it builds upon some other bits that were within uh new order darkness antagonists which is about cults and how they are built up and, uh, upon what ideas they're built upon and whether they're, they're old or new or ancient or and whether they're cults of personality or if they're cults of of concept or ideas or or just simply of agree of a, a particular vice um and i think making use of i think that's the the really cool thing is making use of these cults and heresies and you can be really manipulative with your players, and that's something that turns up within, I think, within Ashen cults. Really, is that you have all these heretical groupings and their interpretation of how the world works. So, um, yeah, there's a lot there. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to kind of form what things we can, you can learn. Say, take from New World of Darkness Inferno and start applying to classic World of Darkness games, maybe. Well. If I may, I just love the image or the idea of a, uh, let's say you're playing Demon the Fallen, and there is a, uh, there's some slayer who's all like, yeah, I'm an awesome demon dude, and then he runs into this Inferno-style demon, and he's just like, what? This is not what yeah, I expected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's always a fun thing to do. Really, these guys, I remember listening to Darker Days number three and thinking, man, Inferno sounds pretty sweet. Should check that one out. And now I'm even more excited about it. Just a lot of new options. Without it doesn't really um it doesn't force you to really learn a lot of new rules, does it? It's mostly just working with the existing spirit rules in Numina, correct? Um it yeah, feels, for the yeah, most go, part. go for it, Matt. You know more about it than me. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, the rules that show up in Inferno, um, for the most part, are they work more or less like spirits. And then, actually, the chapter that I wrote deals with people who make pacts with demons. Hmm. 
And those rules are are a little different, I guess, but um, but they're they're not real. I mean, they're not real complicated to use. It's basically you know you make a sacrifice to the demon, and sacrifices you know run the gamut from like literally sacrificing people you know down to just changes in your behavior, and then you get what you want from the demons, and that adds dots onto your sheet, or it can give you these minor little supernatural powers, or you know, pretty much all kinds of things. So that's that's I think the only new systems in the book. Now, if I'm wrong about that, I'm sure somebody's going to let me know. But uh, I think that is the that's that's the main addition. Um, yeah. Uh, the other mechanical things in the book are really looking at how a demon goes from being this whisperer, this intangible being that's trying to gain influence in the mortal world, and then how it gains more and more power, and then becomes a fully manifest you know, demon of whatever form. Uh, right. Of course, how it, you know, and then how it can go forward to possess a mortal or a spirit or a ghost or, well, any type of spirit. Um, I don't think, obviously, they can't, they can't possess abyssal spirits, and I don't believe they can possess uh, the Quashillum of Promethean, because, of course, they're to do with ordering. They're more like ordering chaos in a, in a very kind of purposeful manner. Well, the other thing is too that um, you know, as written, uh, the Kashmalim aren't on Earth for all that long. No, uh, they stay long enough to fulfill their missions and then they go home. Now, on the other hand, if a demon could possess one in the short time that it's there, could it stop the, you know, the Kashmalim from going home? <laughs> and, uh, and so there's there's your plot hook. There's your free plot hook for uh, for turning into the podcast. <laughs> Right there, and of course, at the end, at the tours of Akiva Inferno, there is the full rules for playing a for actually playing a character who is possessed by a demon. There's the option anyway, which oh. is involved and of course requires a lot of trust on your part and the player's part. Um, and of course, there is the the little sidebar of hey, just invert all these rules. Make you're going to have to make your own powers, but you can play someone that's possessed by the off by a by a let's just say a spirit of. Uh, of your virtues rather than right. vices. I'm not going to say angels because, to me, uh, well, it, it's something of a higher that wants good things rather than bad things. Good and bad obviously can be seen through so many different colours that let's not bother calling them angels. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot there to work for. I mean, they give sample cults as well to use, and the idea is that there's generational cults or ancient ones, and um, I think what basically what Shane was looking for is how you know, you can you can make use of it because I think sometimes you can be too I think the trick with these things is not to be too um not to be too obvious and and blunt with demons. Yeah, you can go out and there's oh you see some horrible creature and you have to kill it or it's killing people and you need to stop it or it's killing vampires or what whatever. But I think the more f- the the fun part is where it's not very obvious and maybe you're dealing with the same demon throughout maybe an entire chronicle. And, you know, it's just pulling the strings behind the curtains there. And you, you can't tell exactly which people it's influencing and which people it's not. Like, this person over here has been a complete asshole, but is he being influenced by this demon? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's he's being influenced by something else. And it just really adds to that level of paranoia you can you can really get in a World of Darkness game, and that's where I like seeing players squirm, is that they really don't know who to trust. <laughs> Demons are behind every door, as are the true fae, in fact. Um, so, 
I would I would obviously I think you can take some of these ideas and you can start applying them within say classic World of Darkness and say Vampire the Dark Ages and Dark Ages Vampire because the idea of the prevalence and maybe common knowledge of the fact there are these her- heretical cults and some of these heretical cults may or may not be the work of demons or supernatural entities and that's a big thing within the Dark Ages set and yeah Mike what do you want to say about Ashen Colts and Devil's Dew then and how maybe we can there could be some big mashup between what we know in Inferno and what's in these books and how sure. players can start going forward with rather nasty things. Alright, well I'm not going to say too much about Ashen Colts because it's primarily about uh, religious cults, uh, whether they're heretical uh, Catholic cults or, or pagan cults. But like the second chapter in the book is actually pretty much just an in-character how-to guide for making a cult uh, told by a, a caitiff elder to his child. Um, and it's very interesting. It's very useful, I'd say, for the uh, for Devil's Due, which we're going to discuss in a second. And it goes through and talks about how to gather up members, how to how to create rituals to uh, to base the cult around, and basically just how to how to keep the followers inside of it and loyal to it. Um, so that's very useful. I'm not going to talk about it too much, and I'm just going to jump over on over to Devil's Due, which is kind of like dark ages demon but not exactly it's closest we got closest we got um matt matt since we have you here i've always had some questions about this book um it's pretty long i should go it's it's almost my copy then (laughs) yeah it's almost like 200 pages there's very Uh very little art in it you can go like four or five pages of just walls of text and then you get you know like a half page piece Right. So I've always kind of wondered, like, uh, from the production side of it and the development side, what was going on? Did this book just kind of spiral out of control and it became way bigger than you expected? Or was it originally supposed to be a hardcover, maybe? It wasn't. There was never any talk about it being a hardcover. But I think, uh, now again, this is a few years ago, but mm-hmm. I think what happened was that we went um, kind of really over our word count for the book. Right. And um, what usually happens at that point is that, you know, production comes and says, well, cut some words out. And I think at this point, you know, I think for this book, we said, no, we don't want to. We like the words that we have in this book. And there's not really a lot of stuff that I want to cut. And so they, we just wound up not putting as much art in per, um, you know, per chapter or per, uh, you know, per section that we usually do. Um, the other thing is, too, that, again, that's the last book for... Uh, for the world of darkness, for the old world of darkness, and right. you know everything. Schedules were were kind of shifting underneath us at that point, and um, it just may be that there there might have been more art for it, and it's just everything was in such chaos at that point that you know for whatever reason there weren't as many pieces. But I'm I'm speculating at this point because again that was a while ago, and I really I think it's more likely that we just went over our word count and. Uh, didn't wind up cutting to compensate. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good enough. And um, the other thing is that uh, Matt, you of course worked on Demon the Fallen a bit. The 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 uh, demons presented in Devils Do, which some of them are earthbound, which we know existed in the past right. for a demon, but some of them are summoned and then possess humans. I, if I remember correctly, those didn't really exist in the canon of Demon the Fallen. There weren't that many of them, at least. No, they were certainly they were uncommon. Mm. Um, yes, 
and uh, well, I mean, Dark Ages was always supposed to be the the past of the the modern world of darkness, except when it wasn't. Right. right. Um, so you know, uh, for things like Devils Do, you know, we tried to respect Demon the Fallen as much as we could, but still have a book that had a lot of interesting things in it. So I think though, I think that there was always talk that things like that happened, that demons did get summoned and possessed people occasionally. It just right. wasn't real common until, you know, the, the reckoning happened and all these demons came back to Earth. Yeah, I think that I think that clears it up because, you know, as we found out with Samuel Haight, it wasn't that fun to play a character that's an ashtray. So Earthbounds there just an urn. Not too fun. Yeah. Cool. That's true. Alright, so let's talk about this book a bit. It of course starts off by discussing uh, pretty much the, the history and the story that's presented in Demon the Fallen uh, with the, uh, with the, the war in heaven uh, over creation and the uh, banishment of the rebels to hell. Uh, and then they become demons, basically. Skipping over that, the, the second chapter in it is basically all about cults because that's the uh, major source of, of power for demons in the old world of darkness uh, by uh, tapping into the divine spark and, uh, and, and faith and worship of human beings. That's how they get their power and can survive outside of the heavenly host. And it's pretty interesting how, how it talks about uh, uh, the different cults that can spring up around a demon. Um, it doesn't give you that much information about how they are created, which is why Ashen Cults is pretty useful, because it gives you a lot of ideas for that. But uh, just, to, just to kind of review a couple of the ideas presented in the book, it talks about theistic cults which are when a uh, demon basically poses as a, a pagan god uh, around typically a small community mm. and uh, tries to keep them in that way uh, with, with rituals and rites. Uh, but the demon, of course, has to be very careful to, be, to stick close to the customs and uh, typical worship to that god, uh, which may not be uh, in keeping with the vice that they're trying to feed off of or feed. Another one is a uh, pseudo-angelic cult, which is uh, basically the demon walks around saying he's an angel and kind of uh, gets followers typically in the lower levels of a church, uh, like the young, zealous members that are pretty excited about their faith. Uh, this is also, of course, pretty dangerous because the, uh, the Inquisition exists in the uh, Dark Ages, which will be probably investigating these members if things get uh, too out of hand. Um, this also has a lot of problems because it limits the type of worship that the demons can receive. I think that's the type of cult that's uh, presented in the opening fiction to Devil's Do, actually. Mm, yeah, yeah. An angelic cult. <laughs> Indeed. And, of course, then there's the traditional demonic cults. And one of the cool things that the book brings up is that these are typically like a pyramid scheme. And uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, just to kind of like rope people in. Um, so that's all well and good. The book also discusses uh, diabolists, which is what they call a uh, person that summons a demon and tries to uh, bind them and get power or pacts from them, um, hopefully without any strings attached, but that doesn't always work out, as we know. And then finally comes the, uh, my favorite part of the book, the real gem, which is uh, it talks about a couple example cults of, uh, not, not demon cults, but diabolists. And it's got the... Uh, a mage fellowship for, for Dark Ages Mage called the uh, Circle of Red. And these guys are pretty cool. And I'm really excited that this is included in the book. 
And you can use the ideas from the Circle of the Red for an actual demon cult if you wanted to, because uh, they're, they're pretty interesting. So it's, a, uh, it's kind of a pyramid scheme, which starts off with merchants uh, as like the lowest class, and they kind of economically support the group. And then they have the next tier, which is like uh, hired killers, uh, security, spies, that kind of stuff. And they also work to, uh, you know, get the sacrifices and that kind of stuff. And then up top is, of course, the mages, the uh, Vinificti. And these guys are pretty interesting. Um, when you think of, like, you know, uh, Faustian uh, Diabolists and, um, and, like, the Thralls of Demons, you think of people that are very uh, uh, debased in some ways. But these guys... Uh, as it's described in the book, indulge in, uh, they, they have calculated indulgence. And uh, the, the exact quote I have written down here is, uh, deliberate sin removes the power of temptation. So that's a very interesting idea, that they limit themselves so that they're not tempted by demons when they summon them. And from there, through their discipline, they can, they can try to manage this power. Mm. And I think that's a really cool idea. And then in the appendix of the book, it actually gives you the full rules for using these guys... Uh, as as uh, as a splat in Dark Ages Mage, you know, with the <laughs> foundations and pillars. So it's like I got an extra splat for Dark Ages Mage as well. This is really cool. So so Matt, I'm not sure if you have any uh, any insight into these guys, but I was just really really wowed when I read through that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember where they came from originally. They show up as antagonists in Dark Ages Werewolf. I remember that. Really? Um, okay. But I, yeah, but I think they predate that even because I remember when we were going through um, kind of brainstorming what we were going to include in Dark Ages Werewolf, um, the Circle of Red using them as antagonists came up. But then we didn't really do much else with them until Devils Do. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, you know, the, uh, the authors and I kind of decided, well, let's just you know, let's make them, let's give them full rules. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that they'd necessarily be my choice for player characters, but, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to use as NPCs, I think they're, I think they're, they're, uh, they're very useful. They sound, the idea like, so you say they, they use, they, uh, they have a, a means to kind of stop themselves being tempted by demons. That's kind of, that's kind of a cool idea there to, um, well, their whole foundation of yeah. magic. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was thinking they might be a cool basis for a rather kind of dark uh, cabal of um, Mastagos mages in uh, New yeah. Age. I mm -hmm. think they'd be appropriate either, either, either for tradition, uh, for, for um, tradition mages, God no, uh, pentacle mages, or, um, <laughs> or, uh, or even a, a corrupt uh, a pylon of, um, of the Sears of the Throne. Because I was going to say, like, you know, Cults and so forth appearing those groups, uh, those types of mages um, in various forms. So um, yeah, go ahead. Um, you say write, a bit more you could about write them up as a um, sure. You could write them up as a legacy um, off the Mastigos pretty easily. Yeah. Um, but their their foundation. Remember how uh, magic in Dark Ages mage works? There's foundation and there's pillars. Yeah. Their foundation is sin. Okay. Um, and so, you know, once once you um, as they get more powerful in their foundation, they do things. They're starting to balance, um, you know, self-denial with, uh, you know, committing the sins. And then once they master it, it isn't that they're, you know, fully committed to the evil of the sin of the blood and the wearing black robes. 
um, when they hit five dots in their foundation, they have perfect self-control. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I, I always thought that was a really cool take on, on you know, Diabolist mages. It's not about, you know, they don't want to give themselves over entirely to sin because, you know, a mage giving up control is, is uh, kind of oxymoronical. Yeah. It's, it's about having perfect control over the self because at that point you can't tempt them anymore. Yeah, and that's uh, why that's why it sounded like a perfect mastergos, you know, mm-hmm. I'd say yeah, legacy exactly. because it fits exactly because the mastergos you know go off to pandemonium and it's filled with demons of another form. Right. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, I think that would um, it would kind of dovetail nicely, I think, with the uh, with the Gothic magic. Yeah. Um, you know that that shows up um, that's kind of you know tied to the to the mastergos. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a fun legacy to play with, I think. Nice. <laughs> Good stuff. So that's uh, that's pretty much all I had to discuss with Devil's Do. Um, there's an interesting chapter about uh, about cults and the, the thralls that result, of course. And then it goes into the Diabolists themselves. So how you would bring this into the New World of Darkness? Well, these types of cults that are discussed in the book, they can be used for all sorts of things. Um, it doesn't have to actually be a demon. It could be easily a vampire, of course. You can see a lot of crossover between between Devil's Do's cults and the in the Ashen Cults book for Vampire. Um, mm. I've, I was actually... I'll pose this question to you guys. I was trying to figure out how a werewolf cult would show up and how exactly mm. that would work. You could kind of see that working with Werewolf the Apocalypse, with uh, with the kinfolk and that sort of thing. You could you could make something. But with the Forsaken, especially with their, their pack mentality... Um, I just wasn't sure exactly how that would even work. Um, so if you guys have any ideas, I'd really like to hear them. One way that you can get corruption and uh, and you know that kind of thing into a pack of werewolves is through the totem. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a bit in where the Werewolf Forsaken core book where um, it talks about why werewolves don't take loons as pack totems. And the reason that they don't do that is because, for whatever reason, a pack that takes a loon as a pack totem inevitably goes crazy. <laughs> and I wrote that in there. I don't remember why I wrote it in there off the top of my head. I just thought it was kind of a cool idea. Um, but now, since demons in the New World of Darkness can possess spirits, what happens if a pack takes a totem takes as its totem a loon that's been possessed by a demon? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So now you have, you know, you are inevitably going to go crazy, but not only are you going to go crazy, you're going to go crazy and become my puppets and my worshippers. And go out and recruit others. I was going to say, I was going to, is this where I throw out the idea of something even worse than a a, a, a pack totem being possessed by a spirit, but a pack totem possessed by by, by a demon, which then gets pushed to become a magath? (laughs) And that's truly a mishmash of horrible stuff. Wow. So that's one way to do it. Um, another way to do it, something that I like, I like playing with, um, really with all of the New World of Darkness games, is introducing characters that are, are members of their respective splats but haven't had any contact with the larger society. Mm. And so, you know, the, the, the werewolf condition is, is hereditary. So if you have some, you know, family line that's out there in the hills of Appalachia or whatever, um, or in some other, you know, comparatively remote place, 
you know, who knows what they might have fallen into worshiping if they don't have anyone to explain to them, this is what we are. We're not, you know, we don't have to eat people. Uh, we're mm-hmm. not necessarily, you know, cannibal werewolves. We have this larger society and these, you know, shamanic tradition. But, you know, no, if they're, if the, if the family's up there in the hills and all they know is that, you know, we can turn into slavery monsters and kill whatever we want to, then I can very easily say, see a demon taking advantage of that. Hmm. I like it. Cool. Um, so do we have anything else to discuss with uh, infernalism or cults? Not really. I would just say, I would say keep it subtle and always look for the curveball if you can throw it at the players and just keep it strange. Because I think, I think there's, there's so much you can really mash together and so many options that, you know, the obvious thing is never always the most fun to play with. Cool. Yeah, I'd just say those three books that we discussed, um, Inferno, Action Cult, Devil's Do, are all really good sources for cults, infernalism, and all that. Uh, of course, there is also Demon of the Fallen, but that focuses just so much on in the internal politics of the Fallen that uh, there isn't too much... Um, discussing the mortal servitors and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there is the one book, Saviors and Destroyers, which I've, I believe is actually mostly fiction, so I'm not sure if that's exactly what you might be looking for, but yeah. going to ask, actually. Um, yeah. Mage the Awakening Summoners, I can't, I, I'm trying to think. I haven't read too much about that and whether how much that kind of crosses over on some of the same subject matter as Inferno, but from a mage perspective. Um not the bits I wrote. Okay, right. Well, I think, <laughs> but, okay, that's on my list of things to read, and I'll come back, come back to Dark yeah. Days with what I learned on that one. Yeah, there hasn't been... We talked about demons in, you know, in Inferno, and then there are, as you mentioned, scattered other creatures around the New World of Darkness that, that call themselves demons. But there, have not, there has not been a book yet released that talks about playing demons. Hmm. Um, in the new world of darkness, hmm. not yet. Um, great. <laughs> I was trying to sound ominous there. Did I? Did I manage it? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I think that wraps up our discussion on on that topic, and let's move on over to uh, a bit of a Q and A. And uh, of course, Matt, you want to discuss your uh, your latest Kickstarter? So. Uh, why don't we hand over the floor to you to to kind of talk about that paper product a little bit? Sure. Okay. The game is called Curse the Darkness. It is a uh, post-apocalyptic role-playing game um, that is not. It does not use dice. It uses uh, playing cards as the resolution mechanic, and it was kind of the most direct inspiration for the game was actually a song, a band uh, called A Perfect Circle. Did a cover of Imagine by John Lennon, and I heard that song, and I I love I love Perfect Circle anyway, but um, really enjoyed that that version of that song. And as I was listening to it, what I was picturing was um, this man standing on a balcony, looking out over the world ruined and destroyed, and thinking to himself, "Yes, this was this was the right choice. I did the right thing." I have no idea what that meant at the time. Um, I just kind of filed it away in my mental bank of cool imagery and thought, well, I'll do something with this someday. And then a couple of years ago, I found a um, a Flickr album online with a bunch of photographs from a tea party rally and people, you know, holding up signs and everything. And it just made me really angry. Um, 
just a lot of a lot of the ignorance and a lot of the just un, the hate being being carried around on signboards and i don't like being angry at people i like people and so i sat down and i started working on what turned into curse the darkness so that's kind of the the genesis of the game um the setting of the game is uh in 2012 um the shadows open and monsters start coming out of the shadows and killing people and taking people away and then this unnamed individual addresses the world and says you're going to take care of each other and there's no more ideology there's no more religion there's no more economics um, there's no more nationality there's no more politics these are all ephemeral concepts anyway and we're done with them you're going to take care of each other because it's the right thing to do and breaking these rules is punishable by death have a nice day over the next 10 years, you know, obviously there's pushback against this because you can't put a gun to somebody's head and tell them be a good person. It doesn't work like that. Um, and so over the next 10 years, a large chunk of the world's population is killed. And so when the, when the game picks up by default, it's 10 years later, it's 2022, um, people live in communities um, all over the world because, you know, housing isn't a big problem. Um, and so the game is about, you know, what are, what are you going to do with this world? Are you going to, you know, live in your, in your little community and do the best you can and live under his rules? Or is there still a chance that you might be able to fight back and, you know, reclaim some freedom for people? Um, and so the essential choice is, do you light a candle or do you curse the darkness? The mechanics of the game are kind of built to, to reinforce that. Every story in Curse of the Darkness, whether you're doing a one-shot game or you know a multi-session story, or if you're going to really go whole hog and play a, a long chronicle, a large part of it is, is player-created, and you create your scenario at the beginning of the story, and you answer these questions, which are you know where where are we, where do we start, what just happened, kind of an event to sort of set the scene, and then what is the goal? What you know after we achieve what is the story over? And over the course of the story you'll lose characters. Characters die really easily in Curse of the Darkness. And that was, that was kind of a deliberate thing um, because any given goal in the game is meant to be larger than the initial group of people that you start with. But by talking about and remembering people who have died, you gain memory points. You can use memory points to kind of fight the good fight as you go. So could you, could you kind of discuss a bit more about the, uh, the card system and, uh, and sure. actually how like, the, the skill checks basically work? Sure. Um, the game uses three decks of cards. Um, two of them are, are separated out by suit. So, you know, all of the diamonds together, all the hearts together, etc. And then those are the player's decks. And those are the decks that the players use uh, for, their, for their attribute checks and, and their, uh, their challenges. And then the other deck is the GM's deck. And um, there are two kinds of challenges in the game. A character challenge is a check against one of the four attributes. Each one of the attributes is tied to a suit. So hearts is tied to humanity, which is kind of the social uh, trait dealing with people used to, you know, persuade or, or intimidate. Um, folk, diamonds is focus, which is <clears throat> not what you know, but it's more mental acuity. Um, how well you can bring, you know, whatever your skills are to bear in a situation. Um, spades is stamina, which is... Um, Anything physical that you're doing that isn't doesn't have the potential to be lethal because challenges that can kill you are, are a different kind of challenge. So running, jumping, lifting, climbing, 
And then clubs are stability, which is how well you can keep yourself together mentally and emotionally um, under pressure, which, you know, in a, in a setting like Curse the Darkness where people are sort of dying left and right um, and the shadows can open and spew forth monsters at any moment is, is kind of an important thing. So when you're making a character challenge, you, um, you compare your you – have, you have one card of each of these suits showing – um, you compare the a difficulty, depending on how hard whatever it is that you're doing is, um, against your active card. So if you've got a king showing in stamina, you're capable of doing some, you know, some really impressive things physically. If you've got a you know, three showing in stamina, you're tired or you're hurt or you're crashed or you're you know, whatever. You don't have much left. But when you undergo a challenge, you play the top card. You play your active card and then you flip over the next one. So it is possible to go from a king to a three and then, you know, the role-playing challenge for you then is to figure out why that happened. You know, hmm. what, what did you do in making that challenge that, that you know, reduced your, your capacity so? And then using the character challenges is um, – they're called character challenges because the basic idea here is to use them to define your character. Remember, the more memorable you are with a given character, the more memory points people can generate, you know, should you – have something unfortunate happen to that character. Um, and so at any given time, you can define what's called a scope. And a scope is, it's almost like an asset or an aspect, I'm sorry, an aspect in um, fate games. Mm. Um, and so I might have, you know, soccer dad as a scope. I might have heart surgeon as a scope. I might have special forces. You start the game with one of them. You can have up to five. Um, there's not really a lot of point in starting the game with more than one because the cool thing about it is that you can define a scope anytime you want. So, you know, if I'm if I'm running and jumping over a chasm and if I miss, you know, I'm going to at the very least be injured, um, I might say, all right, well, I'm defining a scope. My character used to be a long jumper. And now, you know, I'll get a I'll get a bonus to help me make that jump. And so you're you're very much sort of building your character uh, as you go in the game. Mm, and people are you know, learning more and more about them, kind of as you are. And then the other kind of challenge is removal challenges, which which work a little different. And I don't want to do I don't want to go step by step with it because it's it's kind of hard to explain if you can't see it. But the the long and the short of it is everybody who's involved in the removal challenge, and that can be one person at the table or that can be all of the players, depending on the situation, uh, will wind up defining each suit as one of four results and the four results are succeed and stay that is i succeed on what i'm trying to do and my character stays in play succeed leave that is i succeed on what i'm at what i'm trying to do but my character leaves play fail mm. remain i failed my action but i'm not dead I, was, I my stay in play and fail leave not only did i fail but i'm out so i ran a game of curse the darkness last night as a matter of fact and at one point during the game, we had a removal challenge that four characters were involved with. And what was happening was this angry mob was kind of trying to push its way into the building and the characters were trying to hold them back. So three of the characters were trying to barricade the doors and keep these people out. And one character was trying to warn one of the other characters who was already in the building and was not part of the removal challenge that this was happening. And what happened was uh, three of the characters, the characters that were... Um, trying to barricade the doors succeeded on what they were doing and stayed in place. So they were all fine. They kept the doors, you know, firm. And then the last guy, unfortunately failed at what he was trying to do. He drew fail leave. Um, 
and what happened was that he was turning around to try to warn her, like, hey, there's an angry mob coming in. And one of the people from the mob managed to crack him across the back of the head with a, with a club, I think. And that was kind of it for him. And what that means is that later on when people say, hey, you know, what happened to this character? Oh, well, you know, someone hit him in the back of the head and, and, uh, and we weren't able to revive him. And then if you talk about that character you know, you, you wind up accumulating memory points. But we talked earlier about, uh, about using movies to kind of, you know, represent what kind of games we want to play. One of the movies that um, I think works nicely as a depiction of, of Curse of the Darkness is uh, 28 Days Later. Okay. Um, because, you know, if you look at the movie, we start off with, uh, with, you know, Jim, the guy in the hospital, and then he meets up with Mark and Serena, and Mark dies almost immediately. You know, Jim and Serena have this conversation about him. It's not very long, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't go on for, for more than, you know, a few lines, but it's enough that we get a sense of kind of what their relationship was like before he died. And, and that's kind of uh, the, way, the way Curse of the Darkness works as well. You know, you don't have to dwell on the death of any particular character, but if you take the time and, and you know, memorialize, you know, fallen characters a bit, it actually gives you a mechanical advantage later in the game. So could you uh, just... I guess talk about the uh, setting a bit more. Is there much of a setting, or did you leave it very open? Most of well, most of what's uh, firm about the setting is is um, you know is, is what I've told you. He came, you know, opened up the shadows, sent monsters out. Um, one of the things that kind of the landmarks of the setting is the fall of Jerusalem. One of the things that he did was um, address the world through shadows and say, five hours from now, watch Jerusalem, and then. Jerusalem falls into the shadows and is completely destroyed and nothing is left but smooth ground. And that's kind of what he used as the way to get the world's attention and say, look, not only am I serious about this, I have the power to back it up. I just destroyed a city that most of the world considered to be holy. And this is the way things are going to be now. But as far as kind of the specifics of what the setting is like, um, like I said, there there is there is some some discussion about it in the book, um, just so I I can help people picture um, you know what what I think the world is like. Um, people live in in communities that are that are largely mobile, and one of the reasons they're mobile is because there are people that can open shadows and can walk between them. And once you're in the between, you can navigate to anywhere in the world that you've been. Um, of course, to get out again, you need an opener, and so. Um, oftentimes when we're, when we're making characters for Curse of the Darkness, you know, someone will say, okay, well, I want to be the opener. I want to be an opener. Um, and that's just a matter of defining opener as one of your scopes. Um, and then, you know, you can, you can open up any shadow big enough to admit you and walk in this kind of dark, um, not featureless, but, um, almost empty expanse where, this is where the monsters that destroyed the world live. But as long as you're following the rules, um, you know, you can walk safely between. And there is a symbol that people paint on things that they're travel they're carrying between locations um, to kind of give them a safe passage. So, you know, if you're, if you're in Florida and you want to bring oranges to, you know, someone in Alaska to help work on you, you know, you take your crate and you paint the symbol inside of it and you walk through the between with a crate of oranges. Um, now, someone, you know, I get asked, well, what if I, what if I want to put, you know, a layer of, of Bibles underneath the oranges or a layer of guns to help, you know, with, with resistance? 
um, does the symbol still protect me? And at that point, I say, well, that's <laughs> you're rolling the dice there, aren't you? Or you know, playing the cards in this case. Um, so can you do it? Sure. Is it going to work out exactly the way that you want? Let's find out. So hmm. that's, yeah, hmm. it's a bit more about the setting. Yeah, it seems kind of like a, I, I think the other analogy I was going to say that it seems kind of similar in concept is it's a kind of a supernatural post-apocalyptic setting in the sense of um, like at the end of Watchmen where they, the hmm. film where, you know, Dr. Manhattan is considered to have be pointing the trigger at the earth and told everyone right. to play along nicely. Yes. But in this case, it's some dude ready to open up shadows to horrible creatures. So, uh, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay. Same idea. Well, and, and, and too, though, you know, uh, somebody pointing, pointing the trigger at the world and saying, all right, get along or I will blow you up. I think probably would not have quite the apocalyptic impact as saying, get along, oh, and by the way, you're not allowed to worship anymore. You're not allowed to have nationalistic pride. You're not allowed to have trade or commerce or any other ideology. And I think that's, that's kind of where a lot of, the, a lot of the friction came from. And kind of one of the questions that I ask in the game is, you know, is is the the goal of getting everybody to take care of everybody else enough to make up for the you know and by the way you need to abandon all of these things that were such important part of parts of your identity um and you know that's that's thematically one of the big one of the big points of the game and i've had players who, who you know hear that and are absolutely horrified and and think no, no way. That's not remotely worth it. And then I occasionally had players who are like, "Yeah, you know, if it wasn't for the whole killing three and a half billion people, I I could maybe get behind this." And so, you know, that's that's kind of the the discussion that I wanted to provoke in uh, in writing the game. So that worked uh, out. Hmm. I was going to say, like, so what kind of um, I would say what typical kind of uh, types of of games would you expect to be to be run like uh, type of stories to be run because obviously. Um, you've you've left the setting in some respects. There's a few things to find, but then it's quite open in many other respects. So, are there kind of like within the book some sample kind of chronicle ideas for people to yes. start running from? Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. I um, making up a scenario for Curse the Darkness is is actually fairly simple, but it's also meant to be a collaborative effort between the players. So, like I said, there are there are five questions that you answer as a group um, when you're making up the scenario. And the first one is, where are we? Um, where do we start out? And, you know, because there's usually somebody in the group who's an opener, where we start out isn't necessarily where we're going to finish, but it just gives us a jumping off place. So where are we? Um, and uh, I ran a game at, uh, at Con the Cobb in, in Ohio. It's one of the local cons um, where I live. And they decided, okay, well, we're going to start in, in Akron, Ohio, which is not far from where we were, you know, just to kind of give them a sense of, of familiarity for the players. So, okay, so we're going to be there. Well, what just happened? And, um, and that question is something that I, I first saw in uh, Don't Rest Your Head um, in that role-playing game. Um, and I really liked because it immediately engages the players in, in the world and in the mm. setting and it also gives the GM something to jump off from. 
Um, so, so what just happened? Well, in the in the game that I mentioned, that was that was uh, in Akron, the players or the characters had just learned that Washington D.C. was burning. It was burning out of control, and of course, there's no fire departments anymore. So, it was all going to to be destroyed if this continued unchecked. And then the next two questions are: How are you following the rules, and how are you breaking the rules? And I ask, how are you following the rules? Because it helps. Um, it helps the players and the characters kind of figure out what their part is in the setting. Um, you know, are they, are they farming and providing food for people? Are they, um, are they helping to, uh, to provide, you know, skilled care or medical care? Um, in this case, they decided that all of the characters would be, would be former teachers. And so they had kind of set up this school. Um, because, you know, there are still kids and the, you know, they decided, well, they still need to be educated. So they just were careful to avoid, you know, teaching verboten topics. Well, then the next question is, how are you breaking the rules? And that was kind of their answer to that. Like we, we sneak in stuff about, you know, religion and, uh, and, and politics and so forth that we really shouldn't be talking about, but we feel is important, you know, to learn about. And then the last one is what's the goal? And they decided that their goal was going to be they were going to go to Washington, D.C. and uh, get a copy of the Declaration of Independence and try to save it huh. from the fire. And so this is a one-shot game. So this is very, very focused on this group of characters. Whereas if you're playing a game that's, that's going to go more than one session, it's going to take more time to kind of achieve the goal. Um, I always recommend that people choose a goal that's larger than this particular group of people because you're going to go through multiple removal challenges and you're probably going to lose characters. And so it needs to be a goal that's appealing enough to anybody that you might pick up that you, know, you, can, you can keep the story going. Um, character creation is, is really simple and you're meant to be able to just grab someone who was an NPC and when I'm running the game, I try not to define NPCs anymore than I absolutely have to because at any given moment, you know, we might go through a removal challenge, someone loses a character, and then I can hand them another character card and say, okay, well, you know, the guy on the boat that you were just talking to, why don't you write him into memory and you can tell us what he's like and make him a character. So yeah, but there are, there are sample scenarios in, in the book that go, you know, some of them are one shot, some of them are, are three session uh, stories, and then some are, you know, chronicles that would take uh, a lot longer to resolve. And then um, if you go to uh, cursedadarkness.net, there are also um, scenarios that I've, I've written up. Occasionally I'll get an idea for a scenario and just, you know, write it up and throw it up on the blog just to kind of showcase, uh, you know, different things you can do with the game. Somebody on RPG Net just recently um, actually put a wrote a hack for Curse the Darkness to use as a disaster movie. Huh. Um, yeah, so because it's pretty yeah, I thought that was cool actually. You know, he kind of said, okay, well, I I take out all this, all the you know the the apocalyptic parts of it, and take out you know the between and the monsters and everything. But if you wanted to do 2012 as an RPG, you know, th- this is a pretty good system for it because it's. You're not rolling. You're not rolling for every single action that your characters are taking. Taken, but every, anything that you do should define the character a little bit more. And then characters die really easily, but they can die, you know, in furtherance to the plot or in helping the other people. So I'm like, oh, that's actually very clever. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. So Matt, 
this is obviously up at Kickstarter. Do you want to just kind of review a couple of the a couple of the backing levels sure. and like what kind of cool stuff people can get? Absolutely. All right. So um, the Kickstarter, and you know, of course, you can go to Kickstarter.com and search Curse the Darkness, and it'll come up. Um, and we made our we made our goal. We made our funding goal. Uh, so this this really is happening, which is very exciting. Um, if you let's see, fifteen dollars is a backer level that gets you a copy of the PDF of the of the game, and then a fifty sheet character pad. I mentioned character cards. Um, these are basically character sheets, but they're smaller because you know you don't need as much space because there's not that many stats. Um, so you get the PDF, and then you get a a pad of character sheets shipped to you. Um, Twenty five dollars gets you a copy of the book. Uh, physical copy of the book, which will be in soft cover, and will be um, eventually will be available through uh, Drive Through RPGs um, print on demand. Um, and then let's see, there are a few. Oh, so this is kind of cool. Um, there in the book, there are going to be little sections of graffiti. One of the things that I I kept picturing when I was writing the book was that uh, graffiti is one of the ways that people have expressed um, dissent and despair at what's going on and and have tried to communicate with each other or have just you know used as a way to kind of be heard and so there are going to be 25 sections of graffiti um, in the book that uh, backers are going to write now we've sold 21 of them so there are four sections there are four slots left um, and $35 gets you a physical copy of the book uh, one of the character pads and then you get to write a section of graffiti so there's a few left of those. Like and that. then the other one, say it again. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I had um, one, of my, one of my friends um, snapped one of those up uh, pretty quickly, and then she just emailed me the other day. It's like, I have an idea for my graffiti. I'm like, awesome. Let's... So and I don't want to – yeah, actually, no, I'll, t- I'll tell you about hers just because I think it's fun. Um, okay. she, wants to, uh, she wants to have uh, days, days since the coffee ran out. <laughs> and then a bunch of a bunch of hashtags. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's it's funny, but it's sad because of coffee. Um, but then the the uh, the backer level that I'm that I'm really excited about is fifty five dollars. You get the kit, and the kit includes um, a physical copy of the game and a PDF. Um, if you get a physical copy, you get the PDF um, through the Kickstarter. Uh, so you get a copy of the game. You get three decks of cards. Um, one of them has the symbol that I mentioned on on the back, and the other two have there's the a candle logo that was designed by um, Nigel Saad, who's a really awesome artist. You can see his work at uh, nigelsaad.com, n-i-g-e-l-s-a-d-e.com. Um, so three decks of cards, um, five player mats, which are um, sheets basically that um, that serve as reminders for what each of the five, or I'm sorry, each of the four um, attributes do, um, and then the other sheets that you that you need to play the game that work with removal challenges, um, a character pad, a two muslin bags, one of which has uh, memory points, one of which has between points, which are, you know, another part of the game you accumulate, the GM accumulates between points, and if you get too many, then you know, shadows open and he notices what you're doing. Um, and then a pad of scenario creation sheets. So this is everything that you need to play Curse of the Darkness. The only thing you'd need to survive, supply is pencils. Um, and that's, again, that's $55. 
which is a pretty good deal, I think. Yeah. Huh. And um, and then some of the higher level ones, if you want to give me 150, then you get the kit, you get a t-shirt, and I will write you your very own scenario for Curse of the Darkness. Um, scenarios for Curse of the Darkness aren't very long, so it's not it's not like I'm writing you a whole source book, but I will cheerfully work with you and include whatever elements in your scenario you'd like me to. Hmm. So I've sold a couple of those. I would like to sell some more. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, we'll be sure to put a link to this in the show notes. And, um, That'll be great. With that, I guess we'll start uh, start wrapping things up. Chris, do you have any, any last uh, questions for Matt? If I had an entire show, I would I would basically talk about his various chronicles for Vampire and Changeling the Lost because every so often I get get a chance to remember. Yeah, I haven't looked at the updates for that. I'll obviously go over to Matt's live journal and look at updates to um, to those chronicles that are being run, which are awesome because if I've not used something directly from it, it's at least inspired me in some way for my own chronicle. So That's people awesome. should. People should go and read that. Um, in particular for Changeling, because Changeling can be a weird beast to run at times and need some more ideas. No, I don't have anything more to say. I think the only stuff I'm wrapping up is everything else that we're up to in the future. Isn't that right, Mike? Because we have Darklings galore going on. Indeed, we do. Indeed, we do. So, so I got I got two questions at least. Uh, Matt, if people want to get in touch with you, do you have an email address, website, live journal? Obviously, Chris just mentioned. Yes. Uh, if people want to get in touch with me, the easiest way to do it is through um, to email me at blackhatmat at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. My wife and I, Michelle uh, Lyons McFarland, um, we just got married in January, so that's cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, Michelle's been Michelle's been in the industry really longer than I have um, and has worked for, for White Wolf and, and Wizards of the Coast and... Um, on FASA, on Shadowrun, and I mean, we, there's a running joke that uh, that no one can put out a cyberpunk game in uh, as a role-playing game without consulting with her because um, she's worked on most of them. Um, so anyway, we just started a, our own gaming company, which is called Play Attention Games, and we have a website. There's just nothing on it yet because we've been kind of putting all of our creative energy into Curse the Darkness. But PlayAttentionGames.com is going to actually have some content on it sometime soon. So that's um, that's something to watch as well. Great. All right, Matt. So you you've been on the show before, and uh, it was of course asked uh, the traditional <laughs> question of of what appliance would you be and why. I don't remember which one you were, unfortunately. But, I remember. Uh, I listened to it recently. Okay. It was toaster. It was the toaster oven. A toaster. Yes. Oven. That's a good choice. That's a really good choice. So Matt, uh, there's a there's a question when you're on the second show. Matt, what would your porn star name be? Oh, I got this actually. <laughs> okay. Um, of course, uh, the the there are a couple of formulas for determining your porn star name, and one of them <laughs> yeah. is um, one of them is your the name of your first pet and the street that you grew up on. Um, and in my case, using that uh, would make me Harry Deepwood. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't think I can do a lot better than that, actually. So, <laughs> wow, wow, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Very good. Wow. Very good. I think uh, a friend, a friend of mine, you know the uh, the Jedi name thing for working that out. Um, it, uh, oh God, which it's um, first. Wait up, let me get this right. Uh, it's the uh, first three letters of your last name, then. 
first three of your first name and then first three of your mother's maiden name and then the first three of the town you grew up in. Oh, good grief. Yeah. So, but anyway, it turned out that my friend's, uh, it was either, no, it wasn't his, it was another friend's one turned out to be uh, Dick Darklebar. And I thought that was a, <laughs> that's like a Jedi porn star name, if I've ever heard one. So, uh, Jedi, Jedi porn, there's a market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Oh, God, my, my Jedi name would be like largely unpronounceable, I think. Right. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I'm very trying to figure it out, and I'm not getting there. Um, so, Mike, um, what other stuff do we need to remind people of? I know I've got another Darkling at some point to record on Chronicle Design. Oh, definitely. And there's going to be another uh, Dark Ages Darkling coming out uh, from Steve and Adrian pretty soon. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Um of course, to uh, yeah. stay up to date with Dark Days Radio, you want to check out Facebook, Dark Days Radio on Facebook. Uh, we got Google Plus as well, where we are Darker Days Radio as well, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. if people want to look for that, um, for that, we have our Posturus blog where things get cross-posted to because it's easier. And I might write something like uh, recently because I played on the beta for Secret World, which is kind of filling a slot before World of Darkness MMO turns up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a Twitter, which is Darker Days Radio. Yep, I definitely. Think. <laughs> um, and, oh, we have a new domain name, darker-days.org, because we're totally an organization, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Cool. So, uh, and, and also, of course, uh, if you want to send us any feedback, uh, give some stuff in the mailbag segment. Uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com and I think that's uh, all the stuff we got to mention um, Matt McFarland, outstanding having you on the show uh, very exciting, I'm a huge fan of course of Dark Ages Vampire and that entire game line so it's really fun to talk to you about all that Yeah, thank you. always a pleasure really great for, I mean it seems like this episode was perfect <laughs> basically yeah, yeah, it really worked out and, uh, of course, uh, to all of our listeners, check out Curse the Darkness. It's on Kickstarter right now up until June 6th, 2012 at midnight. Oh, can, I, can I mention one other thing, by the way? Sure. Um, for, for any listeners who are going to be at Origins in Columbus, Ohio at the end of this month or at Gen Con in Indianapolis in the middle of August, I'll be running demos of Curse the Darkness and running game sessions there. Um, and... I will be at the Drive-Thru RPG booth at Origins and the Independent Game Designers Network booth at Gen Con, and I would be happy to talk about Curse the Darkness or World of Darkness or um, coffee or you know whatever else that, um, that you'd like to talk about with me. So if you're in the area, please stop by. Awesome. Sounds good. Sounds like a good time. All right, everyone, uh, that's it for this episode of Dark Days Radio. Have a good night. Ciao. For, uh, for Awakening right now that would have dovetailed nicely with uh, with our discussion about infernalism. I just didn't think of it because I haven't seen any drafts. <laughs> really? Well, uh, I'm, I'm recording it right now, so if, if, you're, ah, if it's okay for you to mention damn. it, I mean, I can put it in the back end of the show. Yeah, okay. put it on the back end, yeah. A little snippet <laughs> yeah. or something, right? Just, just Come on. Make it, make it seem Come like... on. Um, God.
God, can I can I tell you what it's about? Hold on. Um, I'm developing a book uh, for Mage of the Awakening that is about mages. It's it's about mages who kind of take a an alternative path. Uh, one might say a left-handed path to uh, to magic. Uh-huh. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see how this is going to turn out. Like I said, I'm not I'm not uh, writing it. I'm I'm developing it. Um, the folks who are writing it are Dave Brookshaw and Malcolm Shepard. And if you've been paying attention, you'll notice that Dave Brookshaw, Malcolm Shepard, and Matthew McFarland are the the three pe- three people who were responsible for Imperial Mysteries. Yeah. Right. So it it's a team that works. I think. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really what- keen to see how that's going to come out. David wanted to talk about, but really couldn't last show. Ah. Possibly, possibly. Interesting stuff. Cool, cool. So, 